Welcome in. This is 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman, and today I've got a, a very special one, one that uh, seems to be on the top of my mind every single year, finally getting to chat uh, with one of the men behind uh, the official 100 greatest golf courses on planet Earth, or maybe it's just America. We're going to find out. Steve Hennessy is here from Golf Digest. Steve, uh, I am absolutely stoked to finally talk through this. It is something I see every single year and to be able to pick your brain on it is very very exciting no absolutely thanks for having me it's a it's a project that's near and dear to my heart and as we were talking off air you know you've been checking off all the courses that you've played and making plans for the ones you haven't so i, I think most people are doing that once the new list comes out so it's an exciting time for golf digest yeah, before we even jump into that, I mean, you're you're managing editor at Golf Digest. You host the Be Right Pod, which is first of all one of the the greatest uh, podcast names out there, by the way, and it's a great Appreciate podcast that. in itself. But like the name alone goes so far in the podcast game, so I, I love that. But how much of your time, uh, how much of your time goes into the 100 greatest courses compared to kind of everything else that's happening? Yeah, obviously you and I work a lot together on the gambling stuff. You do our DFS column for golfdigest.com. You contribute to our expert picks, but most of my time is devoted to this hundred greatest panel. It's it's a lot of uh, coordination and efforting. Um, and you know, the list only comes out every other year, our hundred greatest and hundred greatest public. Um, but it's a year long process with coordinating our panelists, uh, talking to golf courses themselves, managing all that goes into it. So um, you know, with all of my duties, I'd say this is about a third of it. And then I'm also editing all of our play content at golfdigest.com. So that's what to play. So equipment, where to play the golf courses and how to play instruction. So, uh, and then the other third is the gambling stuff, which is also near and dear to my heart, but the golf course stuff is, is so much fun. Um, I've gotten a chance to work on it the last five or six years and I've really kind of soaked soaked it all up. And it's, it's something I don't want to give up. And I've, you know, done, even as I've taken on more and more roles, I've, you know, been reluctant to give this up because it's, it's kind of my favorite thing at golf digest. You, you know, I have to admit, I mean, there was a time, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago when, when really everything was going digital, when, when publications, mm -hmm. traditional print media uh, were having trouble getting online and keeping the content going. And, and you would see a lot of magazines or a lot of print publications just, just dying off. And I think if you would have asked me, Steve, six, seven, eight years ago, what's going to happen with Golf Digest? I'm not sure how optimistic I would have been just from seeing what everyone else has done. You guys pump some of uh, some of the best content the storytelling is great the the uh, obviously for me embracing kind of the gambling side of it like just mm -hmm. hats off kudos to you guys for putting out some really compelling stuff appreciate that yeah it's it's cool because i've i got involved like on the front end of it like you said when things you know who knew what the digital appetite was going to be for you know this sort of storytelling but um, you know, we just have some really bright minds at Golf Digest and uh, people that are so much fun to brainstorm with. And, um, you know, we have a lot of our efforts are, mo are a lot on digital uh, at this time. But, you know, the magazine is is first and foremost, it's storytelling for that. And then we figure out ways to kind of expand it digitally. And, you know, I think we figured out a content mix that's worked. Um, you know, a lot of the kind of virally type posts that um, get a lot of clicks <laughs> Those are, that's a lot of fun, you know, all the Bryson Brooks stuff, obviously, but you know, the bread and butter of golf digest has always been the what to play, how to play and where to play. And, uh, 
you know, and then also the feature type stuff, you know, where we go kind of deep into, um, you know, telling the stories of golf. So, um, yeah, we, we try to do it all and we try to do it all well. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that we do it a decent job at it. I think so. Do you get pushback from, um, like I always, I always throw my dad under the bus on this. Like my, my dad, like right. who watches golf, you know, recreationally on Saturdays and Sundays and picks up golf digest at the doctor's office. Like, do you get pushback from those people when it comes to the, the gambling, the fantasy side of it and more of that viral content of like, what has Bryson said today? Right. Yeah. I would say when we, when we first started doing the gambling content, we got some pushback, like, you know, we don't care about this stuff. You know, <laughs> we, we want more of the, you know, instruction type stuff, help me play better golf. But it's, it's very interesting. The last, and this is the fourth season that uh, gambling has been legalized. Yeah. Um, even the, the average golf fan, you know, is kind of interested in, you know, what someone's odds are, even if they're not gambling yet, you know, that's the goal to get them to kind of dabble. But you know, they're interested that John Rahm has, you know, the lowest odds of anyone since Tiger Woods in 2013. Like that, that's just an interesting stat. It adds to their enjoyment of golf. And I think once, and it also speaks to how big gambling is generally, like you can't watch TV if you're in a state where uh, gambling is <laughs> legal true. without being hit by advertisements. Um, so I think that has to do with the two, but I think that stigma obviously of gambling is gone. And uh, so in that regard, that's definitely true. And in terms of like the viral stuff, you know, I would say even someone like your dad, he might not think he's interested in what Bryson said today, but he might click the article. And, yeah. you know, even if he spends 20 seconds on it, he wants to be in the know because when he goes and plays golf with his buddies, he wants to know what everyone's talking about. So, you know, that's the kind of, that's the idea around our content mix. And, um, you know, our average age, interestingly, is still kind of that older, audience so you know even though we're doing sort of this younger content mix it's hitting uh that wider demographic i love it i love it well one third of your time gets allocated to the 100 greatest golf courses so this is america's 100 greatest and then my favorite list is the public courses we'll right. get to that in just one second but the word greatest steve um I imagine there are many ways to define that. And I imagine that you guys on the panel, how big is the panel approximately? Yeah, so we have uh, over 1,900 course panelists across oh. the U.S. and Canada. I thought you were going to say like six people decide this. <laughs> <laughs> that That's the, the stigma of it, that, you know, it's a smoke-filled room with a couple cigars and, you know, oh, you know, Pebble Beach. No, this is a very scientific uh, method, so. All right. So I imagine, okay. So I imagine 1900 people kind of treat the word greatest a little bit differently. Do you work off of specific criteria? Is, is it like, Hey, this is a noteworthy course. This is more about architecture. Like just give us an idea and we can go through them one by one. Cause I think they're kind of fascinating. Like what are some of the factors that go into this? Yeah. So there are eight uh, sets of criteria with definitions that our panelists evaluate courses on and you know they give each one a grade from one to ten and basically we take the average of all those scores at the end of a period and that determines our rankings it you know has nothing to do with what golf digest thinks like even though i manage the panel i don't evaluate the courses uh derek duncan who's our architecture editor uh, he doesn't evaluate the courses it's all um you know democratic it's it's by our panelists which kind of separates us from others. But yeah, I mean, some of the definitions 
you know, that wouldn't surprise people or shot options. So, you know, a risk reward uh, factor of, okay. of a golf course and each hole um, challenge. So how difficult while still being fair is the golf course uh, layout variety, conditioning, obviously, which conditioning, you know, to the normal golfer probably means just in really good shape and nice and green. But in our definition, it's how firm, fast, and rolling are the fairways, uh, how receptive are the greens, and how true are the rolls of the putts. So we've really embraced, like, brown is the new green and, uh, you know, water conservation and all that. Um, so, yeah, there, there's eight, eight definitions, and we actually introduced a new one um, three years ago. It's the our fun definition because, you know, we know that what people talk about the most after they play a golf course yeah. is, do they have fun? Do they want to go back to it? I think that's what a lot of people – um, identify as great or some people do. Um, that, that's, that's what I think is so interesting, Steve, is mm -hmm. like, if you, I, I play a lot of golf, I play two right. or three times a week. I play as all over the place. Right. I, I don't know if you gave me like a report card or a grading system. I, I don't know how good I would be at that. I think mm -hmm. that I would take a more rotten tomatoes approach to it, which right. is like, I either recommend it or I don't or whatever. Right. right? So I, I, I think even starting to try to think about courses differently. So when you're talking about, um, you know, shot options, for example, does a course that allows you to hit all the clubs in your bag, it does that somehow in some people's vision kind of get graded higher than just a driver wedge course. Is that kind of, my, am I on the right track here? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I would say options is, is the most, um, you know, that's the biggest part of the definition probably and a variety. So, you know, you don't want, um, you know, like you said, a golf course, that's just driver wedge every time, or, you know, dog legs in a certain direction, or, you know, you or don't all, all four par threes are 140 yards or something like yeah, that. Right. Yeah. And in different directions too. I guess that's oh, yeah. part of layout variety, but, um, yeah, the, the shot options is actually double, um, the, those other categories. So we think that's, that's most important, but what you said, Rick, I think that's interesting because when I started, you know, managing the course panel, I was kind of like you, like I, I wasn't even thinking that way. And I think most public offers are not thinking in terms of these definitions and, you know, understanding course design. It, it's really something when you immerse yourself in it, it really adds to your level of enjoyment in golf. Cause then all of a sudden, you know, if your game kind of stinks, like there's something else to focus on. It's, I can appreciate you know, the architecture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Studying the architecture. And, um, you know, if you have an understanding of what architects are thinking about kind of the history of architecture, uh, it, it really does add a level of enjoyment that when I started, I didn't even know was possible. So, so design and architecture that, that, that is certainly, it has to be the aspect that the recreational player, the casual, th that, consider the least and whether they are mm -hmm. not playing on courses that are being, you know, like there's a ton of Pete Dye designs out there and they're mm -hmm. well thought out and they're, they're more accessible to kind of the public, but like it, how, what are the things that we should be looking for? If people want to go out and play a golf course and they want to start seeing it through the eyes of how could this be graded for the 100 greatest golf courses? Like what, what things should we be looking at architecture wise? You mentioned one that I think is interesting and this might be more design. And I remember this was with, I think Kiowa had this, which is all, all four of the par threes went in different directions, mm -hmm. which means if the wind's blowing in one direction, you're never getting like the same exactly. wind. Is, right. is, what other stuff should we be looking at here? Yeah. Um, to me, it's like the individualness of each hole and how they stand out um, against the others. So I think that's something, 
you know, you, you might think about if you're an average golfer, but when you sit back and think about it, um, I think that distinguishes a really great golf course from another one is, you know, when I think about the golf course after the round and all the holes, like when you add them up, how varied and, and different are they? I think that's something that, you know, maybe not everyone thinks about. Character is also a definition that's, um, you know, just exuding uniqueness. Again, kind of distinguishing a golf course from others of its era. So um, I think those are a couple things. And and really, you know, what I did was I read a couple books. I read, you know, Tom Doak's books. I read a book by George Thomas, um, a really old one from the 20s. And that really helped me understand like what an architect was thinking about back then. And the crazy thing is, you know, they were thinking about the same things that architects are now. And, you know, when you think about courses that have been remodeled, et cetera, like a lot of the times they're going back to the original design because it was really good. And, you know, they were thinking in such a way to help the enjoyment of the golfer. So those are a bunch of things that I think uh, really add to the level of enjoyment of the game. How much access do you or uh, other panelists have to some of these places? Because when you talk about America's 100, 100, 100 greatest golf courses, number one, Pine Valley, number two, mm-hmm. Augusta National. Like these are not, I can't just like walk up to them and say, <laughs> hey guys, I'd like to take a little peek under the hood. Like what, right. how, how are you assembling information from some of the most exclusive clubs on planet Earth? Yeah, that that's a very common question. Um, and most of our panelists are not accessing those courses as a panelist. So, you know, a lot of our panelists are, um, you know, well to do and they're well connected in the industry. So they're just invited as guests of those clubs, because if you're a Golf Digest panelist and you call up Pine Valley or Augusta or Cypress or Shinnecock, you know, they're not going to answer your call. They're not going to answer that email. Um, they don't really care as much about our course rankings as some of the courses lower on the list, or at least they say that at least, um, <laughs> I think their members sort of care a little bit, but I, I um, imagine that helps that. Yeah. They can raise, they can raise the dues a little bit when you're number one on the rankings, you know, however many years. In a row. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you talk about the state list, though, that's certainly true. The top yes. of the list, you know, those clubs, they'll be around forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, those panelists just play as guests of members. When you talk about courses lower on the list, we maintain a list of, we have 1,900 or 2,000 or so courses that are our candidates for any of our lists. So best in state, 100 greatest public, 100 greatest, second 100 greatest. Um, and we maintain those contacts. Panelists reach out as a panelist. Um, and sometimes they're accommodated. Sometimes they're not. There's very strict rules that we uh, apply to our panel. And, you know, we have a zero tolerance policy if someone, uh, you know, doesn't adhere to those policies. Got they it. get a call from Steve Hennessy or Derek Duncan, and they are uh, no questions asked asked to uh, be removed from the panel. Which you know How me. How often re- does that happen? It happens more than you think. Um, wow. And you know me. I'm you know I'm not great at being a bad cop, but uh, <laughs> my predecessor Ron Witten, who was the longtime architecture editor at Golf Digest, he was a much better bad cop. I played good cop, but now Derek and I kind of have to split those duties and. Yeah, there's been some interesting stories over the years of uh, us having to remove panelists for doing all sorts of stuff. So it, it definitely happens. I mean, we don't need to go into the gory details, but is it like not respecting the course? Like what kind of things can get you kicked off the panel? Gosh, well, I mean, even something as simple as asking to have a foursome of you and three buddies, that's strictly against our our rules. Um, yeah. You know, you're asked, 
you're allowed to ask to bring one guest with you. But, you know, when you're starting to bring a full foursome, that looks like you're doing it just for access and, and not for actually studying the, the golf course. Um, but you'd be surprised what, what happens sometimes. We, we had, yeah, I probably shouldn't go into all the stories, but guys getting too, too drunk at a golf course, um, guys saying that, hey, can you just charge my lunch back to the Golf Digest account at a private club? <laughs> like, buddy, that doesn't exist. We don't have a, an account at every private club in America. Um, I, I appreciate the effort, but that is so stupid. <laughs> yes. You know, it happens. It definitely happens quite a bit. So Amazing. Amazing. Well, okay. So I want to, um, you, you mentioned a couple of the other lists. I love the, the, the States list, mm -hmm. right? So this is, this is, I, I mean, I use it all the time. My wife and I were just in Utah a couple of weeks ago, right, for, right after we booked that, I, I pulled up like, okay, top, top courses in Utah, which ones can I get to? First of all, Utah is right. a very big state. They're all over the place, but I found sure. a couple, uh, that, that, you know, we could make happen, which I love, but I think maybe, um, and, and this one hasn't, I'm not sure if this has always been around. When did the public courses list get created because the 100 greatest courses goes back to 1966 i believe Correct. 66. okay yeah. so when did the public courses that feels m much more recent it was yeah that was that's since 03 so okay. um yeah and you know pebble beach has been number one on that since then but yeah that list there's a lot more evolution to that whereas the 100 greatest like it's harder for a club to you know, move up or down on that list. But the public list, I'm with you. That's probably my most fun list to kind of study and, and go over because, you know, all of our readers for the most part are able to access those courses. So right. it's great. The, the barrier, uh, whether it's a $600 greens fee or whatever, the right. barrier is just that it's, it's yes. not, uh, it's not an initiation, a membership, a, you right. know, you got to be referred by somebody. You, gotta, you don't right. have to jump through all these hoops, uh, but there are certainly different types of public courses. Um, mm -hmm. Shadow Creek comes to mind, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's, you got to stay at an MGM property. Mm -hmm. You have to pay the, I think they're raising the price to a thousand dollars here yes. uh, per round shortly, still totally. technically a public course because you do right. not need a membership to go on it. Correct. Right. Yeah. And the limo back and forth from the yes. course. I, I've gotten to do that a couple of times. It's really great, but obviously, you know, uh, 98% of our readers, uh, will not have that experience. So, you know, I understand it. But it is uh, this list is a, a, a list of courses that your your readers could have an experience on, and and I know I I mean listen I, I intentionally wore my Kapalua shirt because that that, that is number twenty three the plantation course Kapalua th th these are these are much more accessible now was was that the idea when you released this list in two thousand three that like. Hey, we need we need something else. We need something for I don't want to say the common man, but my, like me, we need something for me that that is much more attainable. Yeah, it really is. It's you know we always had the state lists, I think, and um, there was just the appetite for what are the best courses that I could play. Um, Golf Digest had a franchise called Places to Play uh, from the '90s and 2000s, and that actually assigned a star rating to every golf course in America, it was quite the undertaking. We had readers would literally mail in um, ballots that we would have in the magazine. They'd rip it out of the magazine and mail it to us. We had, you know, five or six staffers at golf digest taking the mail, you know, documenting all the stars, the comments. And then we put together this publication of, you know, the best golf courses in your area. And it had every golf course um, around. So it was basically the Yelp of golf courses back, 
you know, in the 80s and 90s, which we're aiming to bring back. But I think that really spurred the public list because we saw, you know, the feedback that we got from readers like, you know, there's really an interest of identifying greatness, even on that public level. And there obviously is, you know, you look at, you know, course number one, Pebble Beach to number 100, Spring Creek in Virginia, like these are all great courses. And even if you extended it to the 200 best public courses, like these are all courses that um, are really good and people enjoy every day. So that kind of distinguishes it from the, uh, the list that's mostly private, the 100 greatest in general. So uh, yeah, that's why it's my favorite. And it's one of our favorite projects at Golf Digest for sure. Now, does the criteria change for the public courses or is it exactly the same as exactly the, the same? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So things, so, so are you at all considering, uh, how hard it is to get on or price or it's just, it's straight. We're just, we are just talking about the golf course. We are not talking about anything else that kind of goes on around. If they want to charge a million dollars around, or if they want to charge a dollar around, that's their thing. We're here to talk about the course. Right. Yeah. It's strictly about the architecture and design of the course. Um, you know, golf, I just kind of always try to stay away from those things in terms of how much they're charged, their political things, um, different policies, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, it's just identifying the, um, the greatness of the golf course and places to play was sort of that avenue that, you know, if you thought the service was great or, you know, the food was really good, um, that's kind of the avenue there, but none of that matters in terms of identifying the best golf courses. I imagine there is a subset of readers who make it their goal to play all of these yes. courses, whether right. it is uh, the greatest courses or whether it is the public courses. So how, mm -hmm. how aware are you of those people? I, I feel like the people that do this are telling you that they're doing it. Like they reach out right. and they're like, Oh, I've got 75 of them done or what? Like how, right. talk, talk me through some of these really, um, ambitious readers who are trying to cross off all of these. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a, an area, it's a very small group of people, certainly, but, um, you know, the people who are trying to play all hundred of our hundred greatest or the public list, um, it's really an interesting world. And we had a gentleman a couple years ago named Jimmy James. He, he was retired, um, you know, from, I think Exxon Mobil maybe, and he ended up playing all hundred greatest in one year. Incredible, you know, and he was not someone with a bunch of private club connections, but, you know, through his business world, he was able to make connections and play all of them as a guest. Um, so, you know, there are few of those stories, but that was someone who was featured in Golf Digest. Uh, in terms of our panel, like we kind of dissuade that because we want our our panelists to really go out and play like the hidden gems and the courses no one's really heard of. Like we have enough people going to play, uh, you know, Shinnecock and Oakmont and Marion. Like we don't really care if you're like endeavoring to play those courses. It's great. Like I have a panelist who completed their uh, top hundred this year and, you know, he's become a friend and, you know, was gen genuinely interested in the last courses he had to check off. But in general, um, you know, we, we don't like that kind of list chasing mentality. We would rather you, um, you know, not be in that mentality and go play the number, you know, 50 course in uh, Minnesota, because that's going to help us more. Not as much of our panel goes and plays those courses. That's what I, okay. So that's my kind of my next question is mm -hmm. you have this list that once you have the list, the panelists can't really ignore the list, right? They know sure. the list exists. So is there some type of list bias where there, where there mm. might be a course like, let's see, number 
uh, well, I talked about Shadow Creek. Number number six on the public course list, Pinehurst, number two. Um, mm -hmm. I imagine that's not going anywhere anytime soon, and it's not right. because it's on the list, but how how much turnover are we seeing from the top 100 on, on, on any of these lists or even the state list? Because once it's been assigned a spot, is it hard to lose that spot? How much turnover do we see? Yeah, interesting question. I would say that there has to be some level of bias. That's kind of the toughest job for us as golf digest is to remove that bias. And um, we kind of teach and educate our panelists that, you know, we don't care where a course was previously. Like we want your scores based on your understanding of our criteria. And uh, we do have a statistician at the end of the period grade them in terms of the, you know, he applies an outlier analysis in terms of all of their evaluations. So if they're, you know, really plus or minus, I think it's two standard deviations, those scores are removed. So um, that Smart. does, yeah, but so it does make it harder for a course to go up or down in a way, but it also removes the possibility of someone, you know, having a terrible experience at X course and giving them all ones. And then all, all of a sudden the course goes down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also a level of data, like Pioneer's number two, we have 300 evaluations over 10 years. We store data there. So it is tougher to move up or down because there's just so much data. You understand as a, a data yeah. guy, like it's tough to go up or down when you have that much consistent data. So um, that's an interesting part of it. And I think, you know, you could debate forever and people debate whether courses are, you know, overrated or underrated, but that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the beauty of our list that, you know, there's no perfect list. It's everyone, everyone has an opinion. Um, but us, you know, we, establish those criteria so that our panelists kind of have to remove their opinion from it. It's whether they really do that in uh, coming up with their scores. That's the toughest part for us. Yeah, there will be no perfect list. I, I certainly yeah. understand that, but I honestly, even learning the way that you guys do it was much more complicated and complex. And like, I literally thought there were five people in a <laughs> golf digest conference room saying, well, you know, Pine Valley was number one, two years right. ago. Maybe it should just be number. Like I, I had no idea. In so, 1968 there was, but in 2021, <laughs> um, you know, we, we have our criteria thanks to Ron Witten in the eighties for coming up with them. And we've, uh, you know, kind of innovated off of them, but yeah, it's very scientific. And, uh, you know, I, I knew you would appreciate it as someone, you know, so into the data as you are. I'm stunned. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. very, I'm happy. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, are, are there things that are not currently part of the criteria that you envision at some point in the future might be added? Like what, what are, do you think there are any blind spots or some things that, uh, might be overlooked or underlooked in this process? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I would say our fun definition is something that I would like to see um, have a little more value. It's something that we're debating at Golf Digest. Um, it's currently not counted toward our uh, evaluations because it's so new. We just don't have enough data on it yet to know whether we could really assign it in our rankings. But, you know, in all the conversations I have with architects and just golfers, like, that's always something that comes up is the fun part, like we talked about before. So um, to me, I would like to see that have a little more relevance uh, in the future of our rankings. Yeah. Fun is interesting because I can get my butt kicked and shoot 110 and have a blast. Right. Uh, there are courses right. that, yeah, that totally. have just beat me, beat me in the head. And, and I'm still having fun because I understand like, Hey, this is challenging. And, and, and the word that you mentioned earlier, Steve was fair. 
Yes. Right. How fair is it? What, right. the, the, to me, and again, I would be one of 1900. My, my singular opinion probably doesn't matter. But like to me, a, a fair course is one where good shots are rewarded and bad shots are punished. That, that's right. kind of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that is that what you see as fair when you're kind of you know grading all of these all of these courses? Yeah, and it's you know everyday play. So even someone you know who's higher handicap, um, you know, has a chance to run up shots. You know, a, a green that has you know an mm -hmm. opening in front. So you know you could play the shot along the ground. That's something architects were thinking about back in the twenties. Um, you know the options. So that kind of the, the shot options that plays into that. But yeah, I think it has to be fair. Um, and that's something we, we really stress in our rankings because I think there's a little stigma out there that our rankings are just like the most, the championship courses of America and it's how hard they are, but people don't understand that that fair part is a huge part of our definition. Um, so the more we could educate people on that, the better. And really what you're seeing, so, I, and I understand that sentiment. If, you mm -hmm. know, you've got, I don't know, like like what you're seeing at Shinnecock uh, for a major championship is not right. what you're seeing at Shinnecock when you walk on there on a random May, Correct. Tuesday morning right. for recreation, right? I mean, it's just, it, I, I, that, I understand the mentality, but it's not the same. Right. It's not, you know, it's, it is the same design. It's just like, you know, the rough is really thick for the championships and uh, the fairway widths are brought in and the green speeds, all of that, that people understand. But yeah, I mean, to your point before, like to me, when I go play Shinnecock or in Oakmont, you know, I'm going to probably shoot a hundred, but I'm going to have a blast doing it because I understand the architecture is so great. And I understand the place the golf course has, you know, in the history of the game. So I, I think that fun, I always go back to the fun aspect of it. And yeah, I, like um, that. I think most people do. Do you have uh, a favorite course? And and I'm going to just say favorite. That can take that any way you want. Maybe it's a place you play all the time. Maybe it's a place that you've never played and you respect. Like, do you have a favorite course? Gosh, it's a question I get so much. And I don't have Does a great answer Does it change every, every two days? <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, it definitely changes. Um, I have, I would say three courses that I consider, you know, my favorites and I rank them kind of similarly. It's Oakmont, it's Shinnecock. And um, I don't, I don't know. See, it, it does change all the time. Like I got to play Baltusrol, which I now live down the street from Baltusrol, and I got to walk it with the designer, Gil Hans. Um, nice. That was like an otherworldly experience. And now, that I live so close to it um, and got that experience of Gil kind of walking me through all the changes at Baltusrol. Like that's, that's probably in my top five at least, but you know, I've also gotten to play Pebble beach. I've gotten very lucky, Rick. Um, so it's really <laughs> tough for me to say wing foot. Um, Chicago golf club is also up there. I hear great so, things about Chicago golf club. Yeah. It, and again, it's the access. It's so tough to, to get on it, but the architecture is so good. Uh, I wish more people had the chance to, to see it. So, so much goes into it. And, and Marion too. I didn't even mention Marion. That, oh, that's usually Marian. my top three. Yeah. Marion's great. I played Marion. So I grew up outside of Philadelphia and right. for high school golf, uh, I can't even remember who the team was, but whatever team we played, their home course was Marion. And I so remember lucky. I'm yeah. like, yeah, like, could you, I, I didn't even really Those know kids. at the time, but right. like, I remember when we were, we took vans to these, to these matches and right. our golf coach was like, 
if you do like do not do anything stupid like i need like he didn't even care about golf he's like be on your best behavier like like i don't care what you shoot but like don't screw this place up right he he probably wanted to he wanted (laughs) to make sure his access to the club also was intact yeah exactly exactly um I had something else. Oh, okay. So I'll get you out of here soon. Sorry. I'm, I'm just excited about this. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, getting access to architects or guys that do redesigns. And one of the things that I think Golf Digest does an unbelievable job at is the every hole at series. Mm-hmm. So when, right. when you go on YouTube and it's a, it's the, the drone flyover. And a lot of that um, comes with commentary about mm-hmm. how the architect intended these holes to be played. And to me, that is a huge blind spot for the industry, right? Like I, I think people don't understand architecture or design because we're never told about it, right? It's never, and maybe people don't care, but like every time I hear something, I'm like, oh my god, that makes complete sense. Oh, the 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 wind, the way that this this is facing, and what you know, the options, like you mentioned, being able mm-hmm. to run it up, being able to fly it in the air, like this is all so well thought out. Why aren't we talking about this more? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if, you know, on TV, we need to have it more as part of the broadcast for the courses that the tour plays or, um, you know, it's something that we feel like, you know, we're providing that education. We we really only get to do it in our rankings, which come out um, every other year. So the more the more that it's talked about, the better. And yeah, those every hole at videos are oh, tremendous. We, you know, we've that. had like Jim Nance narrate the uh, the Cypress Point one. Um the, the Pebble Beach one, uh, they're they're also good. Sand Hills, uh, Tara Edi down in New Zealand. I mean, it, it's just you you could spend hours just watching them, and I have it's it's my job. Yeah, I do I do, and it's not my job. So <laughs> <laughs> it's too much fun, and yeah, I get you know requests all the time from our panelists, from readers, like hey, you need to do this course next. You need to do this course next. But, you know, it takes months of coordination between getting someone out to fly the drone for five days. You know, they have to time it with the weather. So, you know, it's the best, best video and uh, make sure it's not disturbing play at the golf course and then getting the script to write the narration, finding someone good to do the narration. Um, So it's it's one of our favorite things that we've developed in the last couple of years, for sure. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I just keep, every time I, I, I just see those videos or now I'm right now, I'm just scrolling through like the hundred greatest courses list. And I just, yeah. every course, what, I'm like, what's your bucket list, Rick? What's your next, uh, the next oh, couple of courses okay. you, you know, want to play? So, you know, what would be very high on my list would be, uh, so I, I, Marion would be high. Cause I want to, I don't think I appreciated it at the time. Sure. I think it was just like, we go to a lot of different golf courses and I know this one's old and has history and I didn't, I don't think I really appreciated it. So that, that would be high on the list. Um, Riviera is very high on my list. Mm -hmm. Just being, you know, from, well, I don't, not from Southern California, but spending a lot of time in Southern California and going to the event there. And I've had like, I almost had like an emotional experience when I was at Riviera. Like it was like Thursday morning before the event, the sun was coming up. This place is unbelievable. And I'm like, like, this is amazing. So, um, those two are definitely on, on the short, the very short bucket list. Um, I'm with you for Riv. I've gotten to walk it too for a tournament. Haven't gotten to play it. And yeah, I mean, knowing all the history with Ben Hogan, it's, and yeah, you're just like in this little, uh, you know, the, the valley of, you know, with all the houses above and the trees, it's, it really is an emotional place. So yeah, that, that's on my bucket list too. It's phenomenal. Okay. So every two years, Steve, we get, now do you alter, does the, does the greatest course list come out at the same time as the public courses or do we alternate years on that? 
we it's the same year we alternate uh our world list will come out in between those years so next year will be our international list um and then like the best in state public and hunter greatest all come out in the same year so it's the same set of data uh that determine all those rankings awesome and is there anything before we get out of here anything that we haven't covered that we should have anything that you want the people to know about uh, i don't care what it's about anything you want (laughs) huh i'm I'm trying to think um (laughs) I mean, the international list is something to keep an eye on next year. And we're also uh, developing this international panel. Um, that's a new thing. So currently how we do it is a little less scientific than the U.S. and Canadian list. So uh, we're kind of expanding that internationally uh, next year in the next couple of years. So if anyone's listening to this and they play a lot of golf overseas, uh, we're currently taking applications for that world panel. So um you know, shoot me an email and uh, you could get considered for our, our first ever Golf Digest International panel. Wow, there you go. Steve Hennessy, Golf Digest, host of the Be Right Pod, S underscore Hennessy GD on Twitter. Give him a follow. Steve, I'm stoked. You know, you and I have gotten to know each other over the last 18 months or so. I'm, I'm stoked we were finally able to go one-on-one and talk about this list. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. We could have done another hour. I'm glad we're, we're keeping it short for the viewers. I know. Uh, I love it, brother. I, I appreciate you. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, Rick.